Heavenly Father, we want to thank You, Lord. We, we thank You for bringing us together. Father, we thank You for the, for the love and the grace, the, the goodness that, uh, that You just, just pour out upon us daily and moment by moment. Lord, we thank You that we can walk and live and rejoice in this, in this world, in this life, knowing that, uh, that You watch out for us, that You love us, that You care for us. You've provided for everything that we need and so much more. And Father, we praise You for that. We thank You for teaching us, for enlightening our minds as we go through Your Word, Lord, that we might live to Your glory. And we pray that You would do that as You're always faithful to do for us tonight. In the name of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, Amen. Amen. Romans in chapter 12. Did somebody call me? I thought somebody said Dave. Romans 12. We, uh, we've been through the, the uh, first few verses. How did you all do last week, by the way? How did it go? Okay? Yeah, yeah. Everything good? Great. Praise the Lord. Okay. Um, Romans chapter 12. We've been through down through the first uh, few verses here, but let's go ahead and, and begin reading at the beginning of the chapter. <clears throat> Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now we've talked about these few verses and last time we talked about that measure of faith and what Paul is uh, is referring to specifically in this passage are the gifts of the Holy Spirit that God gave to the uh to the infant church and even here in Romans chapter 12 I know oftentimes we'll look at things like uh, like tongues and, and prophecy and so forth, and we'll say, well, that stuff's not for today. And I told you last time how, uh, how I view this passage here in Romans chapter 12. I don't believe that these gifts in this uh, context are, are in operation today either. The, uh, the, the whole idea of of the spiritual gifts and this measure of faith uh, that we talked about last time was for a time before the Bible was completed, before we had the completed revelation of the mystery and the completed Word of God that truly furnishes all of us unto every good work. So, these gifts... As such, in my view, don't uh, don't operate the way that the way that they did. But the offices, the functions, the purpose that these things serve, the the need is is still there, and these functions are still being 
performed in the in the church today. So we talked last time about uh, about what's not happening today. So let's talk about what does what does this passage mean to us? Back up just a little bit. Verse three, Paul says, "For I say through the grace given unto me." And he's talking about that gift of of an apostle that was given to him. He says, I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now we're called here in this verse to think soberly, and you notice verse 3 starts with the word for. And he's coming off the idea of the renewing of your mind, of being transformed uh, in the, by the renewing of your mind. Be not conformed to this world in verse 2, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the result of that is that we think soberly. Now listen, we come into this world and we walk around and live and rub shoulders out there and the world has a point of view. The world has a very cockeyed point of view. It has a a, a skewed and a blurry and a twisted. The world sees reality kind of like a a Picasso. You ever see a Picasso? (laughs) You ever look at that and go, that's how the world sees reality because so much of what's real can't be seen. So the world looks around itself and it and it lends all of its weight and all of its import and all of its uh, significance on the things that that it experiences and that it can see, and that is a uh, a completely skewed view of of what's real. We, you and I, that's why Paul says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we renew our mind? We looked at that when we were there. It's the Word of God. The Word of God teaches us how to view reality and how to see it. And it, and it clears that, that, uh, that dark glass that, uh, that people see through. It clears that up for us. And we can see things with... Uh, with clarity, with what Paul here calls sobriety. You know what uh, the world the world sees itself and and reality like a like a drunk person, like a drunkard. Now listen, you hear about you hear about drunkards seeing things, right? So you see a, see a pink elephant, right? That's a, and 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 why is that? You and I we believe in some pretty wild stuff. We believe in some stuff that. You know, people who see things, they ain't never seen some of the stuff as crazy as the stuff that you and I believe in. So what makes it crazy? What makes it sober? Well, here's the thing. Is it true? Is it real? Is it real? If you see a pink elephant and there's a pink elephant there, you're not crazy. See, so Paul says, you want to think soberly. Now, the immediate context of that sobriety is how we think of ourselves. And he says, I say to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. So conceit, 
is a form of, uh, of spiritual drunkenness. Conceit is a, is a skewed view of reality. Paul says you want to be transformed by the renewing of your mind to think of yourself soberly. That doesn't mean to be, uh, to be falsely humble because that's not true either. But to think soberly, to see ourselves for what we really are. Now, Paul says, In me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. On the other hand, in me, in Christ, dwells every good thing. So, here's the question. How, are you, how do you look at yourself? See, if you understand yourself in the context of who you are in Christ, there is no room for arrogance, but there is all uh, room to, to rejoice in the glory and the honor and the exalted position that God has given us. Because it comes from Him. It comes from Him. So the, the issue isn't, you know, I'm, I'm just a, you know, I'm a humble little servant and don't you know I'm not good enough for that and don't you know don't, don't, don't do all of that nonsense but at the same time don't walk around uh, thinking you're someone you're not either understand who you are in Christ rejoice in it and know that it's who you are in Christ that's thinking soberly now that's the context that we're coming into because what Paul is about to, to uh, lay out for us here is some relationship issues. He's, we've talked about all of this great doctrine through the book of Romans. And now we're getting into this practical section and how we actually live out that doctrine. All this stuff that we've learned, how do we turn that learning into living, right? The relationships that we're going to be looking at here are our relationship to each other in the church, our relationship to, uh, to the people outside, our relationship to the government, our relationship to our friends. Our, all of these things Paul's going to cover as we go down through here. But here's how he starts it off. How do you see yourself? Because that's, that's where, it, where it springs from. So we have this, this divine sobriety. This divine sobriety that, that, that God gives us. A true and real picture of ourselves. So he says, Think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So now we're going to get into the issue of what we do in the church as we think soberly about ourselves. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Now here you have the first mention in Paul's epistles, not chronologically, but as they're laid out in your Bible, of the body of Christ. And he says here that we, in verse 5, in verse 4 he likens it to our human body. As we have many members in one body, that's talking about your body, and all the members don't have the same office, my hand does one thing, my foot does something else, and, they're, and my, my, I don't walk on my hands very well. And my hands know that. So they don't really 
try to fulfill that office. They leave that up to my feet. And my hands don't really complain about that. And they don't say, well, how come the feet get to do all the walking? I want to do some walk. Well, you know, I've, I've done some walking on my hands <laughs> a long time ago. But... Uh, but it's not nearly as efficient, and it, doesn't, and it doesn't work as well. It's not what my hands are made for. My hands do some things. I can suppose if I taped a hammer to my foot, I could probably pound a nail with it, but, uh, but uh, my hands do a much better job than my feet of, uh, of that. So that's Paul's point here. We have many members in our body. They don't all do the same thing, but they're all happy and willing to, to fulfill their place and their function to, to the uh, improvement of the body as a whole. So he says, just like that, we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Now, we, we won't take the whole time here tonight to, to talk about the body of Christ. I think everyone here has a pretty good understanding of what that is. But I just want to point out to you in verse 5 there, the, the twofold aspect of what it means to be the body of Christ that Paul puts together here in one very concise verse. Romans 12, verse 5. So we being many are one body in Christ and every one members one of another. And turn over with me, if you would, just a few pages to the right, to 1 Corinthians and chapter 6. We are one body in Christ and every one members one of another. And the 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 abbreviated explanation of what the body of Christ is is it comes in two parts it's a two-fold uh, reality that is the body of Christ number one we are the body of Christ that is Christ's body you remember back in uh, in the first verse two there in chapter 12 we talked about offering ourselves a living sacrifice and I said to you at that time that Christ represented us when He offered Himself a sacrifice on that cross. He was representing us. Now, you and I, as we offer ourselves living sacrifices in the church, in the world, in all the different areas that we uh, exist and minister in, now we do that as representatives of Him. So he represented us in sacrifice. Now we represent him as we give ourselves uh, living sacrifices. We are the body of Christ. We are, Paul talks about the mystery of godliness, God manifest in the flesh. That's you and me. That's Christ in you. You are the body of Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15, one verse. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. Now Paul's talking about fornication here. And he goes on to explain that he that's joined to a harlot is one body. And shall I then take, I am a member of Christ's body. 
So what I do in my life, how I behave myself, the attitude that I, that I take, the words that I speak, the things that I do are reflections of Christ. And Paul says, will I take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? And he, he tells Peter, he says, um, is Christ then the minister of sin? We're gonna, you're, 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 uh, going back under the law and you're doing these things and you're, you're causing this, uh, uh, this, this upheaval in the church here. Paul says, if I build again that which I destroyed, I make Christ the minister of sin. And again, God forbid. So, being a member of the body of Christ means just that. That we are a a walking, living, breathing representation and part of Him. Paul says, for me to live is Christ. So, that's the first part. Now, that's, um, you know, take that home for for a couple of months and, and, and dwell on that. But before you do, let's go to part two. Um, we are all members of, of, of one body in Christ, but also, Paul says there in Romans 12.5, members one of another. So come to uh, over to chapter 12, 1 Corinthians. In chapter 12. So we have this, the, being the body of Christ means that we have this relationship with Him so closely connected and so intimate, so close that we are His body. Listen, taking this, taking this out, and I said we weren't going to spend all our time talking about the body of Christ here, but extrapolating this out into eternity, future, and into eternity past and God's plan in eternity past for what He was going to do out in eternity future, the body of Christ is an integral part of God's, of, of God's plan from before the foundation of the world. Listen, God could have done everything that He was going to do without becoming a man. Without, without, he, could have, uh, he could have created. He didn't have to create people. He could have just created the universe and just left it at that. He could have created people and just uh, when we sinned, He could have just uh, just not saved us at all. He was under no compulsion to do that. But it was God's plan from before the foundation of the world that He would not only rule over this creation of His, but that He would do it bodily. He wanted to do it in a body. Now, when he started that creation, he created two places. He created heaven and earth. And he's going to rule bodily over the earth for all eternity. And he's going to rule bodily over the heavens for all eternity. Now, the body that he took upon himself when he was incarnated in the flesh, is the body with which he's going to rule over the earth. The body that he is now in the process of taking upon himself, you and me, are the body of Christ that are going to reign out in the heavens so that God reigns bodily over heaven and earth. You and I are the body of Christ. We're the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. 
1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now that's our relationship, something of our relationship to Him. Now, <clears throat> for you and I, uh, you and me together as, as members of each other, Paul says here, um, same, very similar context, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but the, uh, verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Now again, he's talking about these gifts. And the idea here is, again, we're all different members. We all have different uh, things to do. But every one of us does what we do to the profit of the whole. That's what he means when he says to profit with all. So each one of us has something to do and the whole uh, benefits. For to one is given uh, by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. You say, well, what does that have to do with us? Those, those gifts don't exist anymore. But again, the, uh, the, the function and the, and the need and the, the purpose, all those things are still here. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body... By the way, you say, well, what's the, what's, what's the purpose today of tongues and interpretation of tongues and all that? Well, did you ever hear of a translator? All of these, all of these things uh, uh, have their place. For uh, of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, we have been all made to drink into one Spirit. Now, for the body is not one member but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Now, that's what I was just saying to you before. Now, but I want you to notice how Paul lays this out here. He says, If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? The answer obviously is no. But here you've got a foot who thinks... That it's, uh, that, it's not, that it's not a part, or at least not an important part, of what's going on. So what is it for the rest of the body to do? But to say to the foot, no, look, you can, you can think that, that you're unimportant here, but you're not. I'm sorry, you're not. And you can, we can encourage each other. And we ought to encourage each other. And that's the the context and the spirit of, of this passage here. You've got a talking foot in the passage. There's a talking foot. And it's for us to say to the talking foot, look, you're as much a part of this and as an important a part of, of, of this as the rest of us. If the foot says, I'm not, a, I'm not because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If... Um, if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? So we can't all be uh, uh, the, the same part of the body. That's, that, the, the body doesn't 
doesn't work that way. The body needs all its members. Listen, not for the glory of each individual member, but for the benefit and the profit of the body. That's what that's the illustration, that's the truth, that's the reality of what it is to be the body of Christ. We all do what we do and listen, do something. Really, do something. We're not, you know, I had, uh, I remember when we had the church back in, in Chicago, we had a, uh, and I might have told you this before, we had a, a, a family come, and they came a couple of times. And um, they said, well, we don't really go to any church. They were grace people. And, and they said, well, we've got, uh, we've got tapes, and we've got you know, videotapes, and we've got audio tapes, and this was before CDs and all of that. And we get plenty of edification at home. And, and, and I said to them, <clears throat> whoever told you that the reason to go to church was for your edification? Who, somebody's misled you. You got the wrong idea. Matthew chapter 20. Listen, we come to church to edify each other. We get edified in the process of edifying one another. We're here to, to, to be a, a functioning part of the body. And, you know, praise God, this assembly, this is such a great assembly of folks, really. Uh, you know, everybody is just so uh, ready and willing to, uh, to help. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, Matthew chapter 20. There are, the, 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 the guys are arguing here about who's going to be the greatest and who's going to sit on the right hand and who's going to sit on the left and so forth. And verse 25, Matthew 20, 25. But Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whatsoever, whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and give his life a ransom for many. Now listen. Jesus had all kind of people ministering to him. You see that through the people ministered to him of their substance. Uh, people ministered to him in, in all sorts of different ways. Helped him out uh, in, in any way that they could possibly be there to do that. So it's not, that, it's not that he refused the help. But he didn't come to be ministered to. He came to minister. And that's what we do. We don't come. It is it is uh, the most illegitimate thing to say that I don't need to go to church because I can get edified at home. Well, listen. While you're getting edified at home, what are those people doing that you're not edifying where you're supposed to be? That's the issue. Are they getting edified by your tapes at home? No. Uh, you know what? Same idea. Philippians chapter two. Say Matthew 20 is not for us. Okay, Philippians chapter 2. 
in the process of ministering we are ministered to in the process of edifying we are edified if we all come together for to in to minister we're all going to get ministered to aren't we and listen if somebody wants to minister to you take it don't uh you know, don't say, you know, no, don't worry about it. I, I can do it. Don't say, no, I don't really need your help. Don't rob the brethren of the chance to, to minister. If you can provide an opportunity for someone else to minister, be that opportunity. Minister in that way. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What mind? Well, the one we just read about. That's not for us. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him. You know, we just read there in Matthew 20, the, the end of that verse where he says, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. Well, that's the exact thought that Paul is pulling in here. He says he came in the form of a servant, and he became obedient unto death. What did we just uh, read in, as we came into Romans 12? To offer your body a living sacrifice. Let this mind be in you. He was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You know, we talk a lot about that verse and what it doesn't mean. And, and you don't want to get the idea that, he's, that he's not, he doesn't say work for your own salvation. He says work out your own salvation. But don't forget, while we're remembering what it doesn't mean, don't forget what it means. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We're here to work. We're here to minister. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Back in Romans chapter 12 again, if you would. So that's the idea. To let that mind that was in Christ Jesus be in us. The mind of sacrifice, the mind of service, the mind of ministry. That's what we're doing here. And what a great opportunity. Listen, don't let, you know, here, I'll tell you what. I come in Sunday morning. We all do. And i got to tell you, I, I, I have to laugh to myself sometimes because I, I'm a little preoccupied my own self when I come in between 9.30 and 22 before, before I have to start my thing. But I come in here, I, I usually I'll come up here and I, you know put the Bible down. And I see Pastor Ricky running like this. He's like a he, he, he's like a, he's like a cherub. He's like he doesn't turn as he goes. He just and uh, I don't know what he's doing because I'm you know I'm caught up in my own thing. 
But he's doing something out there, and I'm sure he doesn't mind. But and I'm you know not going to take it upon myself to to speak for for the pastor. But I'd be willing to guess that one or two of those things that he's doing could probably be done by someone else. Why 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 give him all the glory? Why 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 you know why let him get all the rewards? Take some of that for yourself. One thing I know he does, he takes out the garbage. Somebody could do that. Oh, see, I'm talking out of turn then. Pastor doesn't want anyone touching his garbage. <laughs> okay, don't touch the garbage then. All right, all right. I won't because I was going to start doing it, but I won't, I won't do it now. Okay. All right, you let me know, Merle. All right, moving on. In Romans chapter 12, we've got a couple of minutes. So we being many, verse 5, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Now, even though this, this idea of this, this impartation of what, uh, what Peter calls in, in 1 Peter chapter 4 the manifold grace of God, very kind of parallel passage to this one here in Romans chapter 12, when he talks about if you got ministry to do, do your ministering. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Do as with the ability that God gives you to do. That's the same context. It's talking about the gifts. But even though the gifts don't operate today, the needs are still here. And every one of us has, uh, has certain abilities, talents, inclinations. And we can, now that we have a complete Bible... We have the Holy Spirit living in us. We know how to do everything that we do as unto the Lord. And by the strength, it is God that works in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. So if your particular inclination is in one direction, great, go with that. Find a way to be useful in that area. Do what uh, do what comes naturally to you, but don't do it naturally. Do what comes naturally to you, but let the Holy Spirit take what God gave you to start with and use it to His glory. So Paul says, is it prophecy in our context? Is it speaking the Word of God? Then prophesy according to the to the proportion of faith or ministry. Let us wait on our ministering. That's to taking out the garbage or or whatever uh, whatever that is, the Lord came to be a minister, right? He came to serve. That's what a minister is: is a servant. So, so wait on our. By the way, if you're going to take out the garbage, Paul says you're going to be a minister. You're gonna you're going to uh, uh, you're going to be a teacher. You're going to be an exhorter. You're going to be a giver. Whatever you're going to whatever you're going to be, give yourself to it. Paul tells Timothy, he says, meditate on these things and give thyself wholly to them. So if you're gonna, if you're going to take out the garbage, meditate on the garbage. Give yourself wholly to the garbage and 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 and. Come up with new and better and exciting ways to take out the garbage. Do, do whatever you do with diligence, with fervor, with zeal, with joy. Paul says, 
You're a minister? Wait on your ministering. Think about it when you're at home. What are you going to do? How are you going to do it? Where are the opportunities? He that teacheth, wait on your teaching. Prepare. Uh, study. All of, all of those kind of things. Be, give yourself to it. He that exhorteth, on exhortation. You have a, do you have a knack for, uh, uh, for, for, for motivating people and for, for stirring people up, for comforting people, for, for doing all of those things? Well, then do that. But don't just kind of do it uh, as, the, um, you know, as the Spirit hits you kind of a thing. Look for opportunities. Think about it at home. You know, I'm out of time. We've got... Uh, We've got kids here in this um, in this assembly who are great kids. Listen, when you were a kid, what would you like for an adult in the church to stop you as you're walking through the, the vestibule and, and say to you? And why can't you do that? And take the opportunity to do it. Why not? We have all kinds of opportunities just to encourage and just to speak a word, just to um, to minister. To one another. So look for those opportunities. That's what Paul's saying here. Wait on these things. He that teaches on teaching. He that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. Don't blow a trumpet uh, before you. Just, uh, just give. Take the opportunity to give with simplicity. Um, generously. God loves a cheerful giver. So do it. Uh, he that ruleth with diligence. Now, he that ruleth, that's somebody who's anybody who's uh, kind of up front. You have a project to do. You have a particular thing in the church that needs to be done, and you're kind of, you know, spearheading it or leading it up or whatever. Do it. Do it with diligence. Don't do it halfway. Do it. You know, pour yourself into it. Look. You you go out to your job and you and you and you give yourself to that, you know? And that's important because we do that as unto the Lord. You 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 commit yourself to your family and you pour yourself into that. And that's important because we we do that as unto the Lord. But listen, what are we doing here? It's the same it's the same thing here. So don't uh don't think of it more lightly. Think of it as a as a one more and and even greater opportunity. What a blessed opportunity we have here. And again, you know, I'm kind of preaching to the air because because this assembly and I've been in other assemblies before, and uh, you are a bunch of hardworking people. Um, but you know, Paul says, as you have abounded, so increase more and more. He that exhorteth on exhortation, uh, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. You know, there's nothing worse than somebody who shows mercy sanctimoniously. And, uh, and, and, and let me tell you what else, too. Mercy, who do you show mercy to? Someone who doesn't deserve it. Yeah. You, show, yeah there's, there, you know, there's, there's two kinds of people. That generally need mercy. People who are needy and people who are guilty. Those are the kind, those are the people you show mercy to. 
And, uh, and there are two kind of different kinds of mercy. But uh, he says, Paul says here, if you're going to show mercy, and do show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now remember, again, all of these things, the Word of God, all Scripture, is, is, is here to equip every man and woman of God to, to be truly furnished unto all of these good works. We all have our inclination. We all have our preferences. And follow those things and concentrate on those things. Get good at it. But don't neglect the others. We can all do all of these things. All right, I'm going to stop here. It's a good place to stop. And my time's out, so it's a good time to stop. But uh, the whole the whole point and movement of this passage here is that we come together to work. We come together to put in our part. And everybody puts in their part. And we don't just come to be ministered to. It, being ministered to is kind of a blessed side effect of, of, of what we're doing here. We come here to give, to serve, to work, to minister, to, to love one another actively. And I'll let that be it.